Hey, I want to continue and or actually wrap up this sermon series called Growing Pains today. We've been going through the book of 2 Peter, and we're here at the last few verses of 2 Peter chapter 3. And this whole series has been about growing from infancy to maturity in our faith. Growing up in Christ. What does that look like? What does that mean? So today, I'm simply going to call this adulting. Because this is where we should all end up in this world of adulting, whatever that means, whatever that looks like. The, the dictionary actually says adulting is the practice of behaving in a way characteristic of a responsible adult, especially the accomplishment of mundane but necessary tasks. There are some mundane but necessary tasks as a follower of Christ as well. Uh, it's not all fun and games. Sometimes it's just mundane, grit and grind, get in there and do it because it's the adult thing to do. But adulthood, some have said it's like, you know, looking both ways before you cross the road and then getting hit by an airplane. That's why you know, didn't see that coming. Adulthood, it's mostly going to bed when you don't want to and then getting up when you don't want to. Yeah, being adult. You know you're an adult when you get really excited about extra sleep. Yep. And uh, someone said, I wish I was still a kid. That way I could take a long nap and everybody would be proud of me. When we were kids, we used to sneak out of our house and go to parties. But when you're an adult, you sneak out of the parties and go to your house. That's, that's when you know you're an adult. And most of us have probably experienced something like this where... You know, as a, as a boy growing up, you have Tonka trucks and tractors and cars and things like that you play with out in the gravel or you pray, play with in the, on the sandbox or in the yard, in the mud, on the driveway. And then as you grow up, you kind of leave those toys behind. And for most, you come to a place where maybe it's around 12 years, years of age and you think, wait, I haven't played with those Tonka trucks in a while. So you go back and you find them in some box in the garage or... Uh, some toy chest somewhere, and you pull them out, you take them back out to the gravel driveway or back to the dirt or back to the yard. You start playing with them, and all of a sudden you realize they just aren't that much fun anymore. And you even get a little self-conscious about being out in the yard with toys. So you gather them up, and you put them all back in that box in the garage, and they stay there until a few years later, your mother calls you and says, hey, are you going to come and get this junk out of the garage, or am I going to throw it away? That's when you go and you pick it up and you take it back and it's still sitting in a box in your garage and you think you're going to give it to your grandkids one day and I'm just telling you, they're not going to want it. What changed? Did the toys change? No, the toys didn't change. You and I changed. We started growing up. You know what the Bible calls that process of growing up? Sanctification. That's what it is. Growing up from infancy to maturity, sanctification. That's a word we you know, don't use a whole lot. What does, what does that mean to be sanctified? Well, it's, it's where we continually are changing and maturing and learning and unlearning and relearning and growing and maturing to become more like Jesus. And when we get to the end of this second Peter, the end of this third chapter, Peter gives us a few things that we can use to gauge ourselves to determine whether we're actually adulting or not. So you're going to be able to grade yourself, determine whether you're actually a spiritual adult or not. Let's look. Second Peter chapter three, verse number 14 in your Bibles, on your phones, on the screen. 
So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, and remember, this is talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about in the last passage. Jesus coming back like a thief. Since we're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. At peace with him. So number one, the mature believer seeks to live in peace. You know you're growing up in the Lord when you seek to find peace rather than conflict. Some people are just troublemakers. They stir up trouble no matter where they go. I'd call a few of you out right now, but I might hurt your feelings. So I'm not going to do that. But a mature believer seeks to live in peace. Now, living in peace is actually a form of worship. I know it's not what we picture as worship, but the reason I know it's a form of worship is because the terminology that Peter uses here, he says that we should live a a life of peace that is spotless and blameless. And those are words that were used in the temple. Those are that's temple terminology. Because when the sacrifices were brought to the temple that people would give to atone for their sins, the sacrifice had to be without spot, without blemish, spotless, blameless, without defect. That's temple terms. So the Bible uses that phrase, spotless and blameless, many times to define the type of life that we are supposed to live, the type of life that Christ wants us to live. And he even calls the church, we are to be a church that is without spot or wrinkle, spotless, blameless before the Lord. Well, how do we do that? How are we supposed to do that? Even even in Ephesians chapter 5. He references the the relationship between the husband and wife to Christ and the church, and the church is supposed to be without spot or wrinkle. What does that mean? Well, you've got wrinkles whenever your skin starts losing its elasticity. I got to say that real slow so I don't mess it up. When your skin starts getting a little wrinkled, it doesn't have the elastic bounce back that it used to have. Well, how does that refer to our relationships, to our marriage. Well, whenever you stop being flexible, you start having conflict. And the number one reason people give for having conflict in their marriages is that we're just too different. We're just too different. We're night and day. And every couple that thinks that, I believe that every couple is right. Every relationship can have conflict because every relationship is different. Starla and I are different night and day but we're perfect examples that you can be as different as night and day and still have peace in your relationship if you're willing to be flexible. And I know that because Starla told me to be flexible. But listen, no one lives a conflict-free life. No one lives that. You're going to have conflict in life. Even Jesus had conflict. Now, he wasn't the one going around causing trouble. He was going around doing good to people, but people had a problem with that. But the Bible says, as much as it depends upon you, live peacefully with all men. So our job is to learn how to be at peace with people, to find a way to be at peace with people. And if you can't find peace with people, then limit your contact with them. And if you're thinking, wait, wait, but it's my family that I'm having conflict with. I haven't, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. Go see a counselor. No, consider it ministry. Consider what you're doing as ministry. But we have to learn to live at peace with one another. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. The second sign is found in verse number 15 and 16. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, meaning the longer he waits to return, 
then the more opportunity is for somebody else to come to know Christ. Patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters. Now, Peter is talking about Paul right here. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letter contains some things that are hard to understand. I'm pretty much what he's saying is I'm writing and you can understand it. But Paul, he writes and it's hard to understand. No, he, I'm sure he wasn't saying that. But he's saying that it's hard to understand which ignorant, unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So look, here's the second sign. Number two, a mature believer increases in learning. They keep increasing in learning. So Peter's talking about Paul's writings here, and he says that Paul's writings are hard to understand. And I would agree with that. I bet every one of us would. We read the Bible and sometimes like, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. But I bet if it was so easy that we'd all read it through one time, put it aside and say, I've already read it. I've been there. I've done that. No, the fact that it's a challenge keeps us engaged in it. I'm not saying that God made it difficult, but it's, it's, it's a mystery. It's a treasure hunt. And the more you dig into it, the more gold you find, the more revelation you find, the more beauty you find. And, and one of the reasons we come to church it's not just to worship. It's not just because it's the Lord's day. And if you don't come, he's going to zap you dead. No, we come to learn. You're, you're proof that this is part of spiritual maturity. Come to learn something to increase our learning in the Lord. Now, when my kids were young, they were all school age. I would get up in the morning. I would fix them breakfast and I would read the Bible to them. I would read family devotional books to them. We would memorize scripture on the way to school and we would do it over and over and over again. We get through those three volumes of family devotions. We'd go back. We start all over again. Why? Because the lessons in the word of God are to be learned, relearned, reinforced, reminded over and over and over again, because they always teach us something. The Bible is so layered. It is so thick. It's so rich. It's so deep. It's like the ocean that it's, it's shallow enough for children to play in, in the, uh, on the beach, but it's so deep you could never reach the bottom. You just keep on going after it. The goal of the Bible is to mature us. So you have to continue to increase in learning. And actually, there's three spiritual levels. You can kind of define or discover, determine where you are on the three spiritual levels. Spiritual growth level number one is the encounter stage. That's when you first come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're under two years of age as a believer, you're probably in this stage. This is where you're just learning about Christ where you just, you're just getting to know him. You're finding out what does it mean to follow Christ. And, and this is not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be unless you came to know the Lord 10 years ago and you're still acting like a baby in the Lord. See, there's some people who've been a Christian for 10 years and there's some people that have been a Christian for one year, 10 times because they refuse to grow up. I know I'm talking about the people in the nine o'clock service and the 1020 service. None of y'all here today, but here's what happens. We fall into this same trap. We, when our kids do something that's childish, when our kids do something that is different, it's cute. You know, my, my, my grandson, Cannon, he used to call a banana a badabadow, right? I, where he got that, I have no idea. But if you said badabadow to him, you want a badabadow? He'd look at you like you're crazy. You want a banana? Yes. What is it? Badabadow. It was cute. 
but he's 12 years old now. If he called a banana a badabadow now, uh, I'd think something's wrong with you. You know, our daughter Hunter, she used to call Hawaiian chicken, Wahaiian chicken. Well, it was cute then. And there's a lot of things that are cute when we're young that we almost encourage as parents, whether it's speaking with a lisp or whether it's not pronouncing your R's. It's cute when they're young, but it's not so cute when you're an adult and you still can't pronounce your R's. Same way spiritually. It may be cute when we're young to be so spiritually innocent, but there's an expectation that the word of God has, that God has himself, that we would continue to increase in our learning and go from this experience stage into the next stage, the, or from the encounter stage into the experience stage where we really get to know the Lord, where we become a young man or a young woman in the Lord. The difference is that in the first stage, you're just learning about Christ. In the second stage, it's like I've experienced him. Where in the first stage, you just, you learn that God is your Jehovah Rapha. He is your Jehovah Shalom. He is your provider. But in the experience stage, you've experienced his provision. You've experienced his healing. You've experienced his peace. You've experienced his presence. And it's no longer I'm just learning something about God or about his characteristic or about his nature. No, I've experienced it. I know it. That's when you know you're growing in the Lord. You've got a story to tell where you've experienced God in his beauty in your life. But then that takes us into the third stage, which is the investment stage. And that's when we start pouring back into other people. So encounter stage, you're just coming to know the Lord. Experience stage, you're a young person in the Lord. The investment stage is when you're a spiritual mother or father and you're investing back into your children. You're pouring back into their lives. You're reproducing yourself in someone else. We do this as physical parents. We reproduce ourselves, but then we teach them. Hopefully you're teaching your kids the way to live by showing them the way to live, not just telling them the way to live. Because the truth is, and we all know this, kids don't do what we say. Kids do what they see. You can tell your kids you need to do it this way. You need to do that. You need to act this way, but they're going to do what they see. So the way we live in front of them, and let me tell you something, spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers in the house, we need to be showing the younger believers how to live for Christ. We need to be showing the younger believers how to worship. We need to be showing the younger believers how to pray. We need to be showing the younger believers what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because when they see you doing it, they will want to do it. I, I used to spend the summers with my grandfather. He, I had two heroes, my father and my grandfather. But I would stay in the, uh, down at the farm with my grandfather all summer long, worked on his farm ranch with the cattle and the horses and just loved it. Always wanted to be like him. And I watched my grandmother. She would pour him coffee at breakfast in the morning. And I just, one day I said, Mama, pour me some coffee. I won't be like my pampa. She said, okay. I tried to drink it. It was horrible. I mean, I'm like, I'm like 10 years old. You know, I spit it out. She says, let me have that coffee. She took it and she poured out only about 
left about this much coffee and then put about this much milk and a whole bunch of sugar. She said, here, try this. That was perfect. That's perfect. And I sat there at the table drinking my sugar coffee just like my grandfather. I wanted to be just like him. I was watching what he was doing and I was doing what he was doing. In the same way our kids are watching us, when you grow to the father stage spiritually, we begin to influence those who are around us. But then that leads us to this last section. The team would come back, please. 2 Peter 3, 17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right, so I said, number one, a mature believer seeks to live in peace. Number two, a mature believer increases in learning. And number three, a mature believer grows in grace. Grace. Everybody say grace. This is God's unmerited favor. Grace. It's, it's getting what you don't deserve. You see, the difference between that and mercy, mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. If a policeman pulls you over for speeding and then decides not to give you a ticket, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserved. But then if he decides, I'll give you a police escort to wherever you're going. That's grace. Crazy grace. But it would be grace. My mom used to make a, a tunnel of fudge cake. Y'all pray for her. She's really been slacking. She hasn't made one in a long time. But it was, a, it was a bunt cake. So it had the hole in the middle. But it was a chocolate cake that had a tunnel of fudge all throughout the middle. Hey, have you ever tasted anything like that, Maritza? I saw your eyebrows go up. Tunnel of fudge, had a, a, this circle of fudge in the middle of it. But then what made it even better is once it was out and was hot and was on your plate, then you drizzle some chocolate syrup on top of it. So it's got this chocolate inside, chocolate outside, covered by chocolate on top of. I mean, it's chocolate through and through and through. Why am I telling you this? Because this is a picture of Jesus. <laughs> Everything can be a picture of Jesus if you just stretch it a little bit. Look, John 1.14 tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And that word full is this picture of through and through. Chocolate inside, outside, on top, all chocolate everywhere. Jesus, full of grace and truth. Why is that important? Because as we continue to grow as believers, and if you really want to see if you're growing, you should be growing in grace as well as truth. What I have seen is that the more mature somebody is, the more grace they operate in. When you're young and dumb, you feel like truth is all you need. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians have made this mistake. We get this truth, and whether it's the truth of just knowing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, or whether it's the truth of the healing power of Jesus, or truth of the gifts of the Spirit, or truth uh, about the presence of the Holy Spirit, or truth about what worship really is, or truth about your, your, your salvation, you get this truth. And then what happens is we try to beat people over the head with the truth. 
you need this truth too. And we can't understand, we get frustrated why people won't get this truth. Why can't you see that what I'm telling you is true? Because you haven't grown up enough in the Lord yet to understand that Jesus is full of grace and truth. What leads people to truth? Grace. What we need is grace and truth. And when you've got the measure, the right measure of grace and truth in your life, then the grace that's in your life leads people to the wonderful truth of Jesus. Some of us, we've driven a lot of people away by telling them the truth. But it wasn't offered in any grace. I think you would lead a lot more people to the Lord. I think a lot more people would follow us to church if we offered them grace and truth. That's what I want to challenge you to do. See, some people, I believe, have either stayed away from God and some have strayed away from God because of a lie that they didn't understand the grace that God has for them. They felt like God was mad at them. He was going to beat them up because they didn't come to church this Sunday or they didn't pay their tithes or they didn't read their Bible or they didn't do something right. And so you feel like God was mad at you. Somebody doesn't understand the grace of God. God's not mad at you. Can we break God's heart? Absolutely. But you need to know that God loves you. God loves you more than you realize. And there's no reason to stay away from God and there's no reason to stray from God. God loves you. In fact, here's a perfect story that kind of illustrates it. There was an evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody that preached in the Chicago area back in the 1800s. He was a powerful preacher, started the Moody Church, Moody Bible Institute, Moody Press, Moody Publishers, still exists today. But he was preaching in a tent crusade outside of Chicago and he had finished the preaching that night and preached on the text that Jesus has come to seek and save that which is lost. Had finished the message. It was a good service, a good night. But they had concluded the service when all of a sudden a security officer came up carrying a little lost boy in his arms and brought him to the platform. And D.L. Moody picked up the little boy and held the boy in his arms. The little boy was just kind of like, what is going on? Wow, who's this man with the beard holding me? And uh, he's looking around and sees the crowd and sees the lights. And it's just a big party to him. And D.L. Moody said, this boy's father is much more eager to find him than he is to find his father. He said, I'll say it one more time. This boy's father is much more eager to find him than he is to find his father. And about that time, the frantic father, pale faced, I mean, fear over, it comes elbowing his way through the crowd. He sees his son up there and finally realizes my son's been found. He makes his way up to the stage. Well, the little boy finally sees his father. The little boy jumps down from the preacher's arms and starts running to the stage and launches at the edge of the stage into the open, outstretched arms of his father. His father grabs him and hugs him. And of course, the crowd sees this uh, reuniting moment, they all began to cheer and yell. And, and he said, I told you, this boy's father, much more eager to find his son than his son is to find his father. And I'm here to tell every one of us here something today. Your heavenly father 
much more eager to find you than you are to find him. He's looking for you. He's searching for you. He's even created a moment just like this morning to find you. I picture the story of the prodigal son in my mind and I, I can see a father on a balcony every day looking out, hoping, praying, waiting, anxiously awaiting the return of his son. And finally that day comes and he sees his son in the distance and what did he do? Start memorizing his speech that he was going to give his son about how crazy it is to go out there and do what he's done. No. He didn't give a second thought about a speech. He just took off running down that road towards his son, elbowing his way through the crowd, through his arms open wide, embraced his son, welcoming him as a return. There's a God who loves you so much, and he is welcoming your return, anxiously awaiting your return. He's full of grace and truth. The truth is we need him. We need his forgiveness in our lives. But we also need his grace. Something that we don't deserve. But he offers to every single one of us here today. Would you do me a favor? Stand to your feet all over this house. As you stand, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. With your heads bowed. Maybe you believed a lie today that God's mad at you. God's so disappointed in you. God's given up on you. God doesn't care about you. Maybe you've believed a lie about God. But I'm here to tell you that God's arms are open wide ready for you to come running and launch yourself into his arms today. The truth is he loves you. He's offering grace today. It gives us something that we don't deserve, the chance to have our sins forgiven, our slate washed clean. We can start over brand new today, trusting in him as our Lord. If you're here today, you say, you know what? I'm ready to come to Jesus. I'm ready to start over today. I'm ready to return to him. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've stayed away from him. But today is your chance to come back to him. You know that things haven't been working out the way you had hoped. It's time to come back to Jesus. It's time to say yes to Jesus. From the front to the back, left to the right, you're here today. You say, Kendall, include me in that prayer. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. On the count of three, I want you to slip up your hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. So that's me. Thank you. 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 Anybody else? Just lift your hands. That's me. Pray for me. I'm going to pray for you right there where you are. But just say, that's me. God sees every single hand and knows every single person. And let me tell you something. This prayer you're about to pray, the most important prayer you'll ever pray in your life. The decision you're making right now, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. The decision to come to Jesus and let him forgive you of your sins and for, to declare him as your Lord. That changes everything. Will you pray this prayer with me? And I'm going to ask everyone to pray so no one prays alone. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus 
to die on the cross for me. Come into my heart, wash away my sin, be the Lord of my life today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on now, give him some praise.